Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're talking about Headley and some of the sexual assault allegations that currently surround the band. Mm -hmm. And I think what was, um, obviously this is like a a more intense episode, but I am kind of happy that the trial hasn't yet happened because it means we're going to get a part two later on. TBD. We will get into the charges and what's gone on procedurally um, in the case so far. But yeah, we don't have a trial yet. We don't have a verdict. So that'll be something to look forward to. Um, <laughs> look forward to-ish. I know, yeah. I know. It's kind of like a weird, it's like, it's a weird thing to like say, but it, it's, I think it's kind of nice for us because we get to do it now. And then when it comes out at the time, we'll already have had like the background. So I'm, whereas like with Gian, when we did that episode, shout out to our Gian episode, um, really worth a listen and worth going back to it. Cause I think it, it all does kind of like relate to what we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, is that like, we did it both, we did it, you know, in one go, we had two parts where we broke down, you know, the before and then the after. So it's going to be interesting to now have this episode in this context and watch the trial through, I think, a different lens. Because um, we won't be watching it through, uh, like, seeing it through hindsight as much, I think. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. I think it'll be it'll be quite different. But again, a lot of the same themes. So if you did enjoy that episode, um, you'll, probably, you'll probably be interested in this. And if you like this, go listen to Gian uh, episodes one and two. Liv, who is Headley? So I know Headley, well, Jacob Hogard specifically from Canadian Idol. I was a big, big Canadian Idol fan back in my day. Um, and so that was my first exposure to to him, which of course, I mean, of course, Headley's a band with multiple people, but you know, it's he's the center man, he's the person at the forefront, and he's also the person at the forefront of these allegations too. So, um, so yeah, so Jacob Hogard was on Canadian Idol. He plays finished third. Um, and he was, you know, he had kind of a bad boy persona on the show too. Um, that was definitely, that was definitely a huge part of his personality. Um, which is kind of interesting to think about in hindsight, actually. Um, and he, you know, did fairly well. And then he was placed into this band, Headley. So Jacob Hogard says his mom signed him up for Canadian Idol without his consent. She was trying to get, this is his story, I don't know if it's true. She was trying to get him to do it and he didn't want to do it. And she forged his signature. So all that he had to do was show up. And um, did you watch, so you were a Canadian Idol fan. You watched this mm-hmm. season? Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't watch many seasons. I, I was an American Idol fan, but I, I didn't watch all the seasons of Canadian Idol. I watched Carly Rae Jepsen's season. season. Who won this season? Was it Melissa O'Neill? Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I think Melissa O'Neill was so talented. I, I loved Melissa O'Neill. I can't take that away from her. Um, they named the band after a small town in BC called Headley. But I think most of the band members are from, and certainly Hogarth is from, Abbotford, BC. The year after Canadian Idol, they released their self-titled album in 2005. They signed with Universal Music Canada and released that self-titled studio album. And then they signed an international contract with Capitol Records in 2006, um, which they gained a little more popularity after that. Um, But something interesting about the band is that they're they're really... a famous Canadian band. Um, they don't really have much of an American following or international following at all. It seems they're they're really mostly famous in Canada. Like they don't play studio like uh, arenas or stadiums in the states or really anywhere else. It's really only here. Um, well, and I thought it was interesting actually because there was I found a lack of resources in preparing for this episode because there is quite a lot of discussion about abuse of power and um, sexual assault in the music industry. But I found that in those articles, people really didn't talk about Headley. And um, this is, you know, a huge story. And it was a huge story when it broke in Canada. And I was just surprised to see, like, kind of a lack of discussion with it um, in regards to the music industry at large. And um, and and that really said to me that, I the, like, I mean, they were really big to us because they were, you know, we're Canadian. We, you know were living we were living i mean i was living in canada the majority of the time that they were big and um yeah like it really kind of highlighted to me that they were not as internationally known as i guess like i i just lost the perspective because they were so big in canada yeah they were also big at the right time for us based on our ages too i think we were probably a part of that of, of that maybe targeted fan base at the time oh when famous last words came out i was i think 12 or 13 and it was that for the nights i can't remember was played like without exception as the last slow dance song in every middle school dance like it we was we were kind of the right time when headley was kind of hitting a sweet spot in canada but because of that i think i had a perception that they were much bigger than they, than they actually yeah. are well and also i remember like i had i had gotten my license at the time that they were um really big and so they were all over the radio because, of course, like you didn't. That's what you did when you had your license in whatever two thousand and twelve. I mean, two thousand eleven. You listened to the radio, right? Like um, you didn't have like your Spotify at that time. Um, and you know, in Canada, there's a certain quota of that they have to play of Canadian music. So, um, being that they were a Canadian band that were quite popular, like they their stuff was on the radio constantly, like. You, you couldn't. So I think, you know, it's also like if you're a Canadian band that's successful, Canada does in some way perpetuate your success. Um, and it becomes interesting. I think that also becomes interesting when we talk about, the, you know, their demise. So I had a hard time trying to pin down how to describe their musical style. I listened to a podcast with their bassist, uh, Tommy Mack who's still the bassist. I know they've had a few people cycle throughout the band, um, but Tommy Mack, I think, was the bassist until uh, the indefinite hiatus they went on to following the allegations. And he said that Headley is a rock band that plays pop music. 
Okay. I don't really know what that means, no. to, be, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I think this sound has evolved quite a bit too over time, but, you know, they've never really, they've kind of maybe dressed a little bit punk, but they've really never been much edgier than the around an average boy band. But their image has been a little bit more, a little bit more dark and countercultural, you know, they've, they've kind of perpetuated a little bit of a bad boy thing that I think started with Jacob Hogard on Canadian Idol. Um, but, but they're, they're playing pop music, uh, and they, they really always were. Um, of course now they've, their song, their music is a little bit more dancey than it was before, but they've really always been <laughs> playing pop music. I think that's pretty well fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, something I didn't quite realize maybe because I was in the echo chamber at the time when I was a Headley fan, they've always had an overwhelmingly female fan base. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, they, and if you watch concert clips and stuff, whenever the camera zooms out at all, if you see any glimpse of the crowd, it's just like a sea of women and girls. It's like clearly girls there with their moms. Um, and this makes sense too, because despite like appearing a bit edgier, their lyrics are, I think, almost squeaky clean. Um, it's a lot of love songs. Like they might like have lip rings and stuff, but like they're, <laughs> it's it's really it's pop music it's clean lyrics um, and you see a lot of like families at concerts so Liv let's start with some of the allegations and of course there are quite a few so there was allegations as early as 2005 um, and and basically what happened was that there was a young girl who was found unconscious very nearby um, a venue that Headley had just played. And there was several things that ended up linking her directly to um, being in attendance at the venue, being in attendance at the Headley concert. So um, she she had a like a mark on her hand that you get, you know, when you um, come into club. So she had the, the club mark on her hand. She had... Um, an uh, an X, which apparently represented that she was underage um, and she wasn't, you know, able to drink at the club. Um, and the other thing was that they found her shoes uh, in the green room of this venue. So, and this was in London, Ontario. And so, you know, like there's there's a couple smoking guns here that really look like she was um, definitely at the venue, um, and that you know especially because her shoes were in the green room that suggests that she was, you know, linked probably with one of the band members or was, you know, hanging out with one of them. Or at least in the green room at some point. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a, there's a very tangible relationship with her and Headley, you know, it's not just that she was at the venue. It's not that it could have really been anyone, you know, (laughs) there was, you know, there's some tangible links here. Um, so the police did investigate it. There was rohypnol found in, in the victim's blood, uh, for those who don't know, Rohypnol is a roofie. The police investigated did end when the victim refused uh, a rape kit. And I believe that the the band, the venue, and, and the general manager who gave a quote to this story says that they received legal letters um, from Headley's counsel to, to, to stop discussing this incident. Uh, but that's, that's about as much as we have for that uh, specific allegation. Um, but... The way that this kind of wave kicked off 
um, which gave rise to, I think, over 60 women coming forward, was a woman on Twitter who at the time was called only T. She went by T. She's now put a name to her allegations. Um, and her name is Taylor Bowman. She's a former Headley fan. She had the Twitter handle um, Canadian Psycho, CNDN Psycho. Um, and at on February 18th, 2018, she got on Twitter and she asked people to start sharing their stories with uh, Headley. And promised them that she would have a platform for them uh, if they wanted to share a story anonymously. Um, this all was with under the hashtag OutHeadley2K18. One of the women who came forward was Calgary radio DJ Kate Summers, who spoke up about being groped by Hogard after a show when she was... I think she was of age at the time, but it was clearly she didn't consent to it. So the, the allegations were quite... Um... There was a wide range of allegations, right? It was like everything from, um, you know, creepy, inappropriate behavior to obviously stuff that was much more serious. I think what also struck um, probably her at the time and certainly uh, me reading this was the uh, the range of ages and the fact that there was like uh, quite a few multiple, I'm uh, sorry, multiple. Um, oh, sorry. I just have this good quote um, that I wanted to say that, that, that T said. Even if it doesn't reach a courtroom, I think it's important that they're held accountable and that the public knows that these are the kind of people they are. And I think that that's kind of the important point of this. No, I, I completely agree. And, and next we're going to read the bands and Hogard's responses to these allegations, both in the interest of having their response heard, but also in the interest of tearing apart some of the truly horrible parts about these uh, apologies slash, you know, PR damage control statements let's start with the bands um these all these I think these both come in like very lengthy facebook post apologies same as uh as gian of course although i think that one maybe did a little bit more to like people actually really started to believe him after that one i think that one worked a little better oh his was so <laughs> much successful. yeah his was much more well thought out and um tactical shall we say um whereas these ones are just hot messes hot messes of statements that do nothing for anyone's opinion of the band for sure so let's start with headley's it begins with a pander all of us in Headley respect and applaud the Me Too movement and the open and honest discussions it has inspired. We believe these conversations are particularly important within the music industry, which does not exactly have an enviable history of treating women with the respect they deserve. We appreciate the, bra the bravery of those who come forward with their own stories, and we realize that all of us as individuals and as a society can and must do better when it comes to this issue. But this is But this is very common too. It's like, if we're going, the, the danger of having these reckless allegations, this is what people who are trying to deflect, the danger of these reckless allegations is that it takes away from the really important cases, the really real cases of violence, which is like uh, theoretically true, but it's it's often wielded by. Well, I have something to tell Headley. Unfortunately, you are the very serious case. <laughs> you are the very serious yes, case. you are the serious case. Um, you know, so uh, even if I take your point. You're the problem. <laughs> so next paragraph. However, if we are to have a meaningful, open, and honest discussion, we all have to accept and respect that there are at least two sides to every story. The recent allegations against us posted on social media 
are simply unsubstantiated and have not been validated, we would hope that people will bear in mind the context in which these unsupported accusations have been made. Sorry, what's passing. What's the context? Yeah, I don't know what the context yeah, is. Graham. Have been made before passing judgment on us as individuals or as a band. We realize that the touring, this is, I have all this bolded. We realize that the life of a touring band is an unconventional one. While we are all now either married or have entered into committed long-term relationships, there was a time in the past where we engaged in a lifestyle that incorporated certain rock and roll cliches. However, there was always a line that we would never cross. What annoys you most about the last part of that paragraph? Oh, well, I mean, the last part, tell me what annoys you the most, because you clearly have a, a something you want to say here. Well, you know, I think to engage in a rock and roll lifestyle, you have to be a rock and roller and to be famous, and you're a pretty small, very Canadian band, number one. Number two, somehow they're still bragging about living this cool life on the road. Well, like, what does that mean to have a rock and roll lifestyle? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... A lifestyle that incorporated certain rock and roll cliches. Also a pretty bad sentence. (laughs) Like, certain rock and roll cliches. It's like, okay... What? Like, it's so sex, drugs, and rock and roll is presumably the rock and roll cliche to which the they're sex, referring. drugs, and rock and roll defense. Haven't you heard of it? Like. <sighs> and then the, the fact that we're all now married or entered into committed long-term relationships is, though, that, you know, once you're committed, then you. Um, you change your ways. No longer violent, which we know is. It's not true. Statistically untrue. And also, let's be honest, it reinforces this idea that marriage is a trap and no fun at all, right? Which is obviously done completely subconsciously, but um, certainly the, the what they're trying to say. Um, I don't know if I read this, but however, there was always a line that we would never cross. So we'll talk about this uh, at the end, but again, they're kind of separating out certain kinds of bad behavior from... As if there's kind of like a very distinct line. Last paragraph. We realize this conversation is as important to our fans as it is to us. And we never want to distract from these important discussions. To that end, as we move forward, we will be evaluating some of our next steps. Headley's music should only be ever a positive force and our performances and personal appearances should continue to be inclusive and safe experiences that bring nothing but joy and happiness to our fans. Okay, well, I don't disagree with that. But um, is that what happened? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, You know what I just like struggle with too is like this idea that like the touring lifestyle, like the touring lifestyle made me do it. Well, let's talk about who was also a part of the touring lifestyle, who's arguably much bigger, and didn't seem to fall victim to these same rock and roll cliches. Celine Dion. I was going to say, they're called women. Yeah, literally every woman. Every woman. Um, Celine Dion, Shania Twain. Just some of our favorite Canadians, you know, who just like seem to have no problem with the rock and roll lifestyle, you know? I Can I read you this quote from, uh, uh, that was on Twitter, from Lee Fay? In my humble experience, rock and roll cliches include being paid in beer, eating beef jerky for breakfast, sleeping on floors, washing your underwear in a sink. Abuse of power is abuse of power. And until the industry calls it as such, it is an unwelcoming, unsafe place. Bye.
Like That's it's great. Tr- but first of all, what is her experience? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know who she is. But like you you take the point. Like the point is that like the tour life is like this very unglamorous thing and it's not like the tour life isn't the rock and roll cliche. It's the abuse of power that's like clearly happening here. And, and while we're on the topic of the rock and roll cliche or the rock and roll lifestyle, I also just want to add that especially with along through many of these allegations um, but especially with the first one in, from 2005, that, that bar in London, Ontario, they also, people alleged they're also complete assholes on tour too, and that they were really crappy, really shitty to staff, and that they were generally unpleasant, um, and not just sexist, but also like really unkind to people who were like, probably being paid minimum wage to <laughs> help them on tour as they got, went from place to place. I just think I want to add that as well. Um, so the rock and roll lifestyle includes you know, like that kind of arrogance and unkindness, then great. Is, is that also like what's included? Because according to, to people who've interacted with Headley, that seems to be a, a pretty pervasive theme. So they've been shitty to everybody. Yeah. And like, I think building on that, I think we need to like start really questioning, like when people behave badly, it's not necessarily isolated incidents. And we see this like all the time and we talk about it with this kind of like diva persona and it's like okay at what point are people just actually assholes and do we need to start being like okay if you're behaving this badly to people when other people are watching then what the heck are you doing behind closed doors it's probably way worse the other thing too is that diva persona only applies to women and it's but it even as it applies to women it's got a negative connotation that she's a diva like it's a it's a bad thing to be even though it might may not be it might not seem as it doesn't necessarily have the same weight as like oh they're just a dick like she's a diva but it's still negative whereas <laughs> It's just with men, it's like just a rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. Correct to people. Right. Like that's just it's kind of that's kind of glorified. I think. Yeah. I think maybe Beyonce is maybe trying to glorify Diva in a good way. But yeah, no, that's my point. Right. She's (laughs) trying to reclaim it. Negative. And it only applies to, to women and men are never called divas. Right. And they're getting like it's funny because. You know, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but when their manager and management team was asked, like, did you know, like, what do you like, what did you think? And he and he says, like, they were really badly behaved. And I regret that I didn't, you know, uh, I guess, like, unpack it a little bit further and and understand that it, it was reflexive of a bigger problem. Agreed. Okay, we have to talk about Hogarth's statement now specifically I'm not going to read his word for word because it's a bit longer and um it's like more broken up but i'll i'll read i'll read excerpts from it the probably the most important slash jarring parts <laughs> so hogard posts a statement on twitter it's still up actually his account is still active and if you are interested if you read the mention the comments it's all people being like, I stand with Headley, like, we believe you. There's plenty of people supporting him. Um, I don't know <laughs> if that's still going on, but there are immediately after this happens, like, lots of fans stay on board. But anyways, here's the statement. I need to be completely clear. I have never engaged in non-consensual sexual behavior in my life, ever. 
However, over the last 13 years, I have behaved in a way that objectified women. The way I've treated women has was reckless and dismissive of their feelings. I understand the significant harm that is caused not only to the women I interacted with, but to all women who are degraded by this type of behavior. I have been careless and, and indifferent, and I have no excuse. For this, I am truly sorry. And then it goes somewhere else, but I want to read this next excerpt next because I'm going to tie this together. I was given a position of leadership and power, and I mishandled it. I will regret this for the rest of my life. I've let down my family, friends, and so many fans. I'm sorry. Now, I want to put those together because what was um, identified by Sarah Bosfeld in a, in a great piece she wrote for Flair was the way in this statement that Hogarth is really separating out all these items, like non-consensual sexual behavior, objectification of women, careless to the, I don't know what that means, but careless to the concerns of women and um, abuses of power. And the problem that she identifies is that he kind of, he is really, really comfortable drawing a distinction between all of these things rather than I think as he should, which is that these items should be on a spectrum. Um, it's, it's, I don't really think it's as easy to draw a line between um, <laughs> non-consensual sexual behavior and abuse of power. And as we'll get into when we talk about the charges, you know, the law reflects that. Like there's a different... Um, there's a, for example, I don't know, this isn't one of the charges in this case, but you know, if the age of consent in Canada is 16, but if you are, um, but if you have a sexual relationship with somebody who is, you know, between 16 and 18, but you're in a position of power over them, um, you can still be charged with sexual interference, which is re really Canada's version of what Americans would call statutory rape. Um, and the point is that the way that power is used and abused um, can really influence how consent is given and received. And we can't really separate all those things out and put these in tidy boxes and put them um, and give them like degrees of badness because they are related. Yeah. And, and to further that too, like when he says like, I've been careless towards whatever the feelings of women, well, maybe they told you no, and maybe that was what you were careless towards, and maybe what you understood was consent wasn't actually consent. You know what I mean? It's, like it's it it yeah. relates so easily. And the lawyer brain tells you that sounds like you're being reckless <laughs> to whether or not you actually yeah. obtain consent. A hundred percent. Whatever lawyer signed off on that, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> but but if you want to read more about this, Bosfeld article does a really is a really good job. Um, and I'll and maybe we'll wrap up this little section with with this quote. Hogarth's apology treats consent and power imbalances and the gross, reckless mistreatment of women as separate things when they are inextricably linked. Part of the bigger problem of why, out in the world, these lines of consent can be so blurry. Hopefully his period of self-reflection will help him realize that. And I think that when we talk about kind of like the the main allegations that are... Um, that are Well, they're kind of like the allegations at the center of the charges, I guess I should say. His statement really makes it clear why there's a huge disconnect um with with what the situation that happened too um and i think it kind of fits together perfectly exactly what he's missing <laughs> about um behave his behavior towards women and specifically um this anonymous woman 
who's, um, you know, come forward with allegations. Um, so, so with that and taking his statement too, which is, you know, <laughs> he's saying that he never, he never had non-consensual, um, a non-consensual sexual relationship. Of course, one of the charges is sexual interference, which is sex with a, with a person under, um, the age of consent. So, uh, this, there were, as we know, you know, over 60 allegations on Twitter, um, how many actually resulted in police reports and an investigation? There were, um, three, there are three counts of sex crimes based on, I think, two events and two complainants. So this was investigated by Toronto Police Services Sex Crimes Unit. And on July 23rd, 2018, Hogarth was charged with one count of sexual interference and two counts of sexual assault causing bodily harm. So for those who don't know, sexual assault causing bodily harm is a more serious sexual assault than um, what is maybe crassly called simple sexual assault. It's it's another level up, so it's more serious and likely to attract, you know, probably a higher sentence. Um, and then sexual interference, as I said, is um, sex with a person who is below the age of consent. Um, and and also, like, with causing bodily harm, like, it's 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 that step further to say, like, there was some probably physical objective damage that resulted um from from the sexual assault that takes it beyond just um you know uh, something a little bit more lasting something a little bit more objective like bleeding or or something you know elevated violence yeah elevated violence that's a good way to say it so there was a preliminary hearing in this matter already uh hogard pleaded not guilty so there'll be a full trial of uh of all these counts i believe as of right now um the police yeah the police have said that these are three separate incidents um, involving a woman and a girl under 16, based on the charges that make sense. Both occurred in Toronto in 2016, and uh, both were, quote, young fans. He has opted to be tried by a jury rather than judge alone. For those interested, as you know, we don't have you know, nearly as many jury trials in this country as in the States, so it's uh, always interesting when there's a jury involved, I think. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised he picked that, but I guess it makes sense. So he was supposed to actually have a trial this April. And because of COVID, it's been delayed because of, well, the pandemic has delayed it until um, January 3rd, 2022. So um, quite a long time to wait for his trial. Yeah. And they've been on permanent hiatus since February 20th, 2018. So pretty soon after... Um, these allegations came to light over Twitter uh, on the same day that uh, they both Headley and Hogard both said that they were taking indefinite step backs from steps back from their career. Um, I've seen some interesting. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say. So after the allegations came out, there was kind of an immediate um reaction the junos i believe were like right around the corner at that point and so they were dropped from being a juno performer um they were fired by their management team and there was a couple of oh and then you know they had a tour that was upcoming that completely um you know didn't happen fell apart and um, a number of radio stations actually stopped playing their music which i thought was a really great um like a, a really meaningful step because it, you know, makes a, a big difference to the bottom line. For sure. Um, 
I've seen some interesting fan responses as well. Uh, I saw there's a former Headley fan. I think I don't think she's the only one. There are several tattoo artists, um, including one called Lizzie Reno, who posted an offer to Twitter to remove Headley tattoos for free, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. Um, way to join the resistance. Uh, of course, she had done New Hogarth and hadn't even done some of his tattoos. When she put this on Twitter, she received death threats. Um, so, of course, some there are plenty of Headley fans who are sticking by Hogarth and the band and have not, which is always the case. But, and again, check out his Twitter posts and you'll see all these people. I think the hashtag is like, I stand with Headley. There's, there's, there's quite a bit. So lots of people are not, are not letting go. Um, another interesting response we have former former drummer who was the drummer in the band for 11 years he left in 2017 it seems pretty well uncontested that he was fired from the band um, his name is chris crippen and he talks about hogard's inappropriate behavior calling him douchey extremely rude and that it wasn't behavior he wanted to be around he said he was regularly inappropriate with female fans and uh he says, looking back, he wanted to quit long before he was fired, but wasn't really able to. I don't really know what that means. Oh, I saw somewhere that he said um, <laughs> that he wanted to quit. And on the advice of a lawyer, that he would get a better payout if he was fired. And so he, be you know, made himself be fired. So, you know, that kind of tells you. I don't know. I just found, like, his whole... Uh, listen, like, yeah, I know this is not legal advice, um, but um, I just found his statements to be very lackluster because it's like, okay, he's this former drummer. He obviously left. He obviously witnessed a lot of bad behavior, but like the thing is, he is like to be implicated. So he's uh, not going to talk about what he might actually have seen if he saw anything. Uh, he doesn't really talk about real bad behavior. He no. Says inappropriate with female fans is the worst that he admits to. Yeah. And like the thing is, is like, okay, he's, he's on this whole like you know, he's clearly trying to separate himself from the band, you know, stay, you know, and say like, I had nothing to do with it. I, you know, wasn't a part of this. He wants to keep his integrity intact. But the thing is, is like, dude, you were with the band for so long and all these allegations that come out, like, it's not like it's one allegation. It's a, it's a whole bunch. And so to me, this was just so like fickle and like, and like meaningless because it's like, you obviously knew what was going on here and you're not, you you haven't said anything until these allegations like really came to light. So like, you're not the hero here. You're not like, you're not the martyr. You're not the, you're not anything. You should have come forward. You knew what was happening. And so you should have maybe fine, get fired from the band, get a nice little settlement and then go right to people of power and say their behavior is inappropriate and they should be punished. Did you do that? No, no. So I didn't like that. No, I didn't either. And I'm not saying he was in the room when someone was raped or something. I don't know that, but I mean, who knows? He has to, he has to know more than he's saying. Yeah. And like, fine. Like he's not denying. Yeah. It was very lackluster. It was very, it was, it felt very self-serving too. A hundred percent. Those interviews Uh, were were cringy to say the least. I completely agree. I completely agree. Speaking of cringe, I love to criticize how the media talks about sexual assault. As you know, it's one of my favorite themes. Favorite There's one in particular, there's a a video clip. I think, no, there's an article I read. I just think it's amazing how media will still wants to be 
punny about sexual assault it's stuff. It's disgusting. Like, the, st- the first line of the story is, it's time for Jacob Hogar to face the music. I'm like, I just want to walk out into the sea. There's another video clip I saw. I'm not going to say what outlets these are from, but the clip, which is which is um, about the sexual assault charges and the trial, it's, it's about this. The video clip starts with the song, Headley's song, Perfect, which for those of you who don't know, starts with in the music video, they played a clip of the music video, which is Jacob Hogarth sitting at a piano, playing chords and singing. The lyrics are, I'm not perfect, but I keep trying. Oh, God. As if it's like a, so- a sob story for him. Also, like when you play, every time you play that music, like someone's being paid royalties. So like in the introduction to those, like, I just like get so frustrated because it's like, why, like, I get it. You want to show who this person is, right? Because there's a, I'm sure there's a great deal of people who watch the news who genuinely have no idea who he is, which is fine. But like, you know, just show a picture. Well, just show a picture and just tell us, you know, he's the successful band. Like, we don't need to hear the song. Like nobody, like... You don't need to pay them any more money. Like you just Show don't. Bring people will know. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's really frustrating that the media kind of like in you know whatever trying to expose them, they just kind of end up like paying them. I don't know. Like I hate it. I hate it. Because it's it kind of ties things up neatly to put these things in a larger cultural context. I tried to look into putting this in the context of other of like sexual assault and harassment in music industry specifically. And I found it was impossible to do because, because when I looked into this, it was just so disheartening and overwhelming how many of the most beloved figures in pop music, like actual pop music, like actually international famous, famous people, not like Headley how many of them have been accused specifically of um, sexual contact with underaged girls. It's overwhelming. And it's every area, uh, every genre within pop music. It is just absolutely everywhere. And it's not really like this is... It's kind of hard to fit into that narrative because it's just a sea of of allegations and stories um, in this industry. And it's just really disheartening. And it's just kind of goes back to what we were talking about and what Headley raised as the, the rock star lifestyle and how long we've been kind of letting this go on. And, and I think there's even a, even a more general trope of like st- artists being strange and doing strange things mm-hmm. like getting guardianship over underaged women that they end up marrying and so that sort of behavior like we've been excusing this for such a long time and there are some people who are and and like (laughs) pop stars who are now dead who it feels like irreverent to bring these things up because they're so beloved Hmm. um, but have done some bad things things. well there was a quote from Alanis Morissette who's, you know, another, uh, a great Canadian, um, singer who said nearly every woman in the music industry has been assaulted, harassed and raped. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) because here's someone who's, you know, been around a long time and is very successful, very famous. And, um, if, if, 
you know, she's trying to stand up for the women in the industry and even she's struggling to do so because of the the different power dynamics in the industry. It's incredibly disheartening. And I and, and I did see some interesting st- stuff about how the way that the music industry is structured, it makes it more difficult to come forward it, and, and, and all that. And, you know, I think we really need to take a look at ugh, the entertainment industry at large because it just seems like there's such a blurry line between work and play that is complicating things more deeply than a lot of other industries. You know, like we we saw obviously in Hollywood with the, the Me Too movement and we're having another reckoning in the music industry, but like it's very disheartening and I think we really need to take a hard look at how we're <laughs> – how I mean, there's just so many young artists. It's very scary to think about, you know, what they're going through. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And if it's if this is what men in the industry, how they're carrying on. Imagine how hard it is for women just to break in. Yeah. Yeah. And what they have to either go through or witness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and stay silent about to like just survive in the industry. Yeah. Hundred percent, and and I thought what was kind of interesting in, in researching too for this episode was that there's recently a huge reckoning, a huge huge Me Too reckoning on the uh, the music industry and also like just just generally in Quebec, but uh, the rest of Canada really didn't take note because we're not really familiar with those people because of the way that you know because it's all French and we don't speak French as well um and also you know they have their own star system that we're you know just not familiar with because we're not consuming that content in 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 a meaningful way and I think it's kind of a bit of a shame that we didn't that we weren't privy to this me too reckoning in Quebec because I genuinely had no idea that this was all happening in Quebec did you no yeah like (laughs) so yeah this is the first I'm hearing yeah, so I think it's just like, you know, this is these are problems that we're having and I think we also need to kind of stick up for each other and you know, when when things like this happen in Quebec, like we really should be we should really should care because it's problems that we're having in I guess like English speaking Canada, let's say. Um that the same problems are here. And so we we need to support them too. Absolutely. But it's it's crazy that we didn't hear about that. Like it's crazy. Okay, final thoughts. <sighs> I just this think this is a depressing one. This I'm is sorry. yeah. This is, this is a hard one. It's hard to wrap up because it's it's one of those things for me where when I looked into it, it was much worse than I had imagined or thought because I didn't know much. I didn't really pay too much attention to it when it all went down, and I don't I don't blame myself too much because you got to remember February 2018, men are dropping like flies. It was it slowed down a little bit now, but it was like. Every other day, there's a new guy who's just gone. And no, I, don't, I don't mean to say that as if it's tragic. Like, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say it's unjustified. I'm just, um, because I, I don't think it was. I think it's just hard to keep up with, um, was my point. Well, I mean, we didn't, I mean, I, I, nor do I think we should have. But uh, the allegations um, are really, really horrific. And some of the more violent allegations that I've read amongst, you know, people being like accused in, in the wake of me, me too. And I think that, you know, um, if there's any doubt in your mind about the kind of person he is, it's, you should, you should look into the allegations because it'll clear up the doubt very, very quickly because they are pretty horrific. Yeah. Chilling. 
absolutely. Yeah, but I think also what struck me just in general was was the similarities between this case and um, Giangameshi, and it does make you think there's a playbook that these like predatory men are following that's very easy to identify and that we uh, should have no trouble identifying certain patterns of behavior, um, you know, and bad, just bad behavior, you know, like racist, homophobic comments that are, that are just in such bad taste and a certain attitude towards, you know, the people that, that are helping them and, and, you know, there's, they're kind of silly antics that you can kind of brush aside, but when you really unpack them are quite like mean spirited that, you know, like I said, like if that's the way that they're acting when other people can watch, how are they acting when no one is watching behind closed doors? And the answer is really, truly terribly. So I think that we also like need to, to, yeah, really keep interrogating like the media and how we're treating these people who are being behaving really badly because it's like, you know, it's just so, it's just terrible. And we need to stop glamorizing bad behavior. We need to start glamorizing really nice people who are work really hard and do good things. I think John Mulaney said something about whenever, I'm going to butcher it, but it's whenever there's a really bad person, there's another really bad person whose full-time job is, who's probably a worse person, whose full-time job is to cover up what the really bad person is doing. Yeah. And I have to think with this Headley situation where it at least appears that some of it was happening so out in the open. If there are underage girls going to the green room, um, yeah. there have to be a lot of people who knew or had an inclination or turned a blind eye to what was going on. And what I'd like to see is more accountability for those people who stood by um, or worse enabled and have some some recognition of the violence that there is in that. Yeah. We don't really have as much of that uh, in the Me Too movement aside for... I was going to say Galen Maxwell, but no, she was fully partaking in, yeah. in violence. We, we don't have as many of the right-hand men and women. I think um, other than maybe like Ronan Farrow's book does a good job of talking about and exposing the people who are right around Weinstein, like Lisa something, um, who was like... <laughs> Who would like, who's like, gave a fake name to Rose McGowan and pretended to be her friend so she could get her whole story and figure out how to <laughs> cover it up. Um, I, I'm not saying that Headley had the sophistication of, of Weinstein, but I, I want to know, like, who, who else was in the room and said nothing? Because we don't know those, who those people are, and they haven't had any accountability that I can see. Hmm. I agree um, with that. Should. And I also, just to like really hit this home, is like the what really struck me about this was the the amount of underage women that that were being like preyed upon, and I think that that's like whatever you feel about you know you know whether or not you like you know what I mean like whichever side of the coin you fall on this issue, you have to like think that these underage women are just not being protected enough, especially in the music industry, because like they have just no business being in the green room with, with any kind of musicians under any kind of circumstances. Like there's just like, and I know like, you know, when you're 16, you don't feel like, you know, you don't feel like a kid, but you are, and you, you don't really have capacity for consent, even if you think that you're giving it. Um, 
and you know, these, <laughs> I don't want to get too like, we need to protect the children, but like we need to protect the children. It's, it's a very difficult topic. It's, um, but it's something that, you know, we think is important to talk about. And if it's something that you've enjoyed, we'd love to hear back from you. Uh, you can send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram at just watch me pod, or send us an email at just watch me podcast at gmail.com and, um, and leave us a review. We're dying to know what you think about the show. So you can do that on Apple podcasts and, um, and, and tell us if you want to hear more about exposing the terrible Canadian men, because we, we love to do it. We love to do it. Okay. That's it from us. Thanks. See you next week. Thanks.